Welcome to the Top of the Pile podcast, where you'll find some of the most interesting authors in conversation about everything from their lives, their books, and their big ideas. From health, science, and true crime, to fiction, history, and romance, we'll bring you fascinating conversations about subjects you never even knew about, and some that you do. You can also get more bookish recommendations by subscribing to the Top of the Pile newsletter. Just visit simonandschuster.com.au to join our mailing list. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. My name is Anna, and I have a great pleasure to introduce you today to a best-selling suspense author, Sarah Foster. Sarah is an author of five psychological suspense novels with the most recent Hidden Hours published in April of 2017. All of her novels are the kind of stories that are more interested in questions of how and why rather than in finding out who and what. She loves getting under the skin of her characters, and I might just add that she's very good at it. There are probably two reasons why this is the case. She seems to be a very keen observer, and she has a professional editing background. Sarah worked both as a freelancing and in-house editor with HarperCollins, and she helped shaping novels by such well-known authors as Paulina Simons, Catherine Fox, and Leanne Moriarty. Sarah, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Anna. You're a very well-rounded writer with 17 years in a publishing business. How do you think your editing experience influenced your writing process? I think that my editing experience is invaluable to my writing process. So I don't think I'd be the same writer today without having had all that experience to start with. I think what, as an editor, what you're able to do is deconstruct a text or a novel. Um, so I feel like it, it gave me a head start in the beginning because when I wrote my novel, I was able to immediately look at it quite objectively and to start um, analysing the text and thinking about it from a publishing perspective as well. So are you able to detach yourself? Are you able to look at your text in this way? At a certain point, yes. Yeah. So I think to begin with, I just write. But then after a while, I think I begin to know that it's got to become in book form. If I want to sell it, I've got to start thinking as the reader. So I like to get my ideas down first, but then I will detach myself at a certain point and start looking. And I find it quite easy to switch between those two hats as well. I think that's a real gift. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's it's a pretty much a common wisdom that um, the relationship that the author has with their editor is probably the most important relationship that the writer has. Can you tell us a little bit about the way you worked with your editors and what do you think are the most important qualities of the editor? You know, things like shaping the manuscript or relationship in a, in a publishing house. So I've had brilliant editors all the way through and um, I've been lucky enough. I worked with my publisher, Larissa, quite closely on my novel at various stages and I've done that with my whole back catalogue as well. And then Roberta... Um, my editor as well, is vitally important to the whole process. So I think the what a good editor can do for an author is to draw them out. So you feel like you've finished your book when you give it to an editor and you're not sure what else you could possibly do to make it any better. Mm. And then an editor is not only able to, a great editor is not only able to see your vision, but to encourage you to get there as well. And I think it's a misconception that editors take over because they don't. Uh, uh, I think the people who are great editors know how to guide an author to what they're trying to achieve. And 
I am very lucky in the fact that I have had a brilliant team behind me at Simon & Schuster um, who have just enhanced my books beyond what I even realised I was capable of. So your finished product is quite different to the one that you had in at the start, but I, I support editors wholeheartedly I, and I always try to encourage new writers to embrace that process as well because mm. you can get so much out of it. Did you ever experience any periods of friction, tension or frustration where you felt that the editor was just not getting you or getting your idea? How did you resolve if you did? I haven't had that crop up too often, but that's a really good question. So I think it is important to know what your vision is for the book because ultimately you are the writer behind it that's going to end up talking about the book. You've got, you have to keep it close to your heart in one sense. Um, normally I think, and you can tell quite quickly if you're working well with an editor. And if that happens, it there's a back and forth process that goes on with editing. So it's not just an editor telling mm. you what's going to, what you should do, what could happen. It's an editor making suggestions. And then you can go back into that process as well. So there was an interesting one um, with The Hidden Hours, actually, where we we felt there was something missing from the script quite late on and we weren't quite sure how to fix it. And it there was a gap that needed bridging between telling the story of Eleanor in the present time and her childhood when she's only nine years old. And they the editorial team suggested one solution to it and I just couldn't write my way into that solution. Mm. It wasn't that I disagreed with it. It was just that I couldn't make it work. So I came up with another solution, which was the prologue, which again did what they wanted mm-hmm. me to do. And I was able to make that fit in terms of how I saw the book. So mm. it was that kind of working process that yeah. worked really well, where we we both talked about it, we both thought about it, and then we came to an unexpected agreement really in how it was going to go. But that one completely worked for the book and added another dimension to it. Mm. And I have heard sort of through the back door, and I'm not sure if this is true, but I have been hearing some things that there was there was um, a change of killer through your book. Is that true? There was a couple of big changes in the book that um, I wasn't entirely surprised about when they suggested to me that I needed to change things. So, that yeah. So, um, we're in The Hidden Hours. We have uh, quite a cast of suspects, actually. You, it depends on um, how you're reading it, who you actually think you suspect. Um, but there's a, a whole range of suspects. And I wrote it because I wanted the reader to really get into the story and not know who did it. I wrote it as if any one of those people could ultimately have done it. Because then I that's realistic then to me. And you don't get disappointed when you find out who did it. Hello. And I think you've done it very well because I do remember reading through the book and actually swaying, thinking that's the person and then going to the next chapter and thinking, oh, no, maybe that's the person. And as a reader, I love that too because it make, keeps me on the toes and saying, you know, I really have to pay attention, but be open-minded. Yeah, well, so that's exactly what I wanted to do. So mm. It worked. Yeah, well, that's brilliant. <laughs> and um, so I felt like... By doing that, I then picked who I thought um, maybe should be responsible for this. However, I think that I picked that because I was under deadline pressure at the time and uh, 
there were various things that are unraveling. I, I wasn't entirely convinced myself. So when it came back and there were suggestions made, um, then I was I was happy to go along with it. I, I find talking about that, you feel like that would really upset an author if someone said you've got to change the whole. But because of the way it was constructed, that another alternative made sense to me as well. So it wasn't actually as difficult as it might appear to rewrite those bits. Can you give me any sort of a specific examples of how your writing practice have changed in a way over the course of writing these five books? Have you made any sort of, can you think back to things that you've done writing your first or your second book that you would never do again or things that you haven't done, which now are like, I definitely must do that? Yeah, so a few things have definitely changed. When you write your first book, you have all the time in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a luxury you don't realise really at the time until you end up having deadlines later on down the track. Um, so I think there's a that you can really sink into your first book. And then when you realise that if you want to continue this as a career, you have to produce material, you have to come up with other ways of getting that material down in, in a quicker mm -hmm. compromising <laughs> yes yes um so because I've had a young family throughout the whole process of my writing career I think I've had to change it a lot more than I ordinarily might have done so if I didn't have children to look after I might have found a routine that then just I stuck with or a practice that I stuck with but um I've had to go out quite a lot to work so I've had to be able to work on the fly mm. in noisy places um just I've had to be able to pick things up and put them down without having much time. Uh, those challenges, I actually think, really help in a way because they make you focus. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, but I have had to change how I work a lot because of the kids and because of the different demands of life. I have realised that I'm a writer that works in better in bursts than in, if you gave me five hours once a week or you gave me an hour every day, I will get much more done in that five hours mm. once a week than an hour every day. So I know that for sure now. So that's definitely something I look for is blocks of time. Um, the actual writing process itself in terms of plotting things out, um, I think I have found a way that works for me now, which is a kind of backstitching method. Mm, I love I've that expression. About. I do as well. And um, it was Meg McKinley that gave me the name because mm. I described what I did and I didn't have a name yeah. for it. Um, so that means that I can just write with freedom mm -hmm. and I don't have to worry too much about being constrained by my own plot ideas. And I can write till I run out of ideas or I lose my direction or something becomes a block. And then I can go back retrospectively and plot it out so analyse my chapters so far where I've got to in the story and try and figure out if I'm going wrong, if I'm focusing too much on one character and not enough on the other, all those kinds of things. I can really then look for the balance um, and see how I might drive the story forward. So mm. that's something that I've come to over time. And again, I wouldn't say it depends on what kind of novel you're working with. So with Shallow Breath, I had post-it notes everywhere because I had seven voices and two timelines and and so I had to be very specific about where things were placed. But something else that's a bit more whimsical or it's not as complex mm. in the structure, I might be able to just write it more without having to have that 
sense of structure or actually to be able to see yeah. the structure. So you, can- you kind of stealing here the question that I had for <laughs> you as well, because I remember um, a few years ago talking to um, Kate Atkinson after she completed Life After Life, which was just this novel with all these different timelines. And I imagine her and I told her that I imagine her in front of the, in this room with these massive sheets that sort of had this, this person said that, this person said that. In your last novel, you have two timelines. You have, I mean, the cast of characters is limited, but because it's over two timelines, there are certain things that you have to give away at certain times and keep track. So the story sort of flows. Do you keep any sort of diagrams or is it all in your head? How do you work that? How do you plot when you use multiple voices or multiple timelines? I probably keep a lot more in my head than I I can imagine other writers who are full-on plotters do. But at the same time, if I get stuck again, I definitely start with a whole diagram process. And it could be quite... It's very instinctive. So sometimes it'll be a whole brainstorming process. Mm -hmm. Other times it'll be much more of a chart or like I said with the post-it notes. Um, It's whatever's working for me at that time. So you have all those tools available and you think, right, which one do I need to try and use Mm -hmm. to figure out what where I need to place things? And sometimes it's just playing as well. So... I know there's a big reveal in All That's Lost Between Us and I played a lot with where that reveal came in the book. Mm -hmm. So um, to start with, it was quite near the beginning and then I realised that it wasn't going to work for long and that was literally placing it and then rereading it and seeing how that... And that's where the editorial Mm -hmm. experience comes in as well, trying to step back, reread it, ask those questions, what does that mean for the text? Will that keep the reader engaged if then they know this information? So... And um, sort of going deeper, a little bit deeper into rewriting. So I, I, I think that one might suspect that with your exposure to so many different genres as a as an editor, and then completing these five uh, novels, uh, you might, you know, you deliberately have chosen this particular genre of psychological um, suspense. What is the appeal in, in this genre? What does this genre allow you to do that you? thing maybe other um, genres wouldn't let you do. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think there's a potential problem in writing psychological suspense where you want to explore issues where the the pace of the suspense can actually cover the issues that you're looking at in the novel in terms of character development as well. So you have to be quite careful about that. And um, But I, that's the joy of writing suspense for me is that it's an exciting story. So it's one of those books you can't put out. There's nothing better to me than finding a book where you are just drawn in mm-hmm. to this world and, and you cannot do anything else until you've finished. I love it when I find stories like that. And so I wanted to write the kind of thing that I love to read, of course, because that's where my affinity lies. But I also wanted to, because I'm so interested in characters and psychology, I wanted to put in issues as well and things that and explore relationships and explore mm. what happens in in families and I was worried for a time about the two together but I actually think that they can work really well together because some of these issues are dark or they're issues that you might be afraid of looking at um uncomfortable certainly and I think when you have it in the context of a compelling story the story drives you forward and uh, and kind of gives you permission to look at those issues, but also not 
not to linger in them unless you choose to as the reader. So you can use my stories as either, really. You can enjoy the story and the ride, or you can enjoy the issues that I'm bringing up and and think about those as well. But I hope that they don't, I hope that they gel. I hope that they don't cancel each other out because that is my ultimate aim. The only other thing that I wanted really to ask you, and I know it's a maybe a, a strange question, but for a lot of readers, I think it's a really fascinating one. So you must know something about, you know, fishing a body out of water and what would happen and how it would look like. I want to know how did, did you get this kind of knowledge? <laughs> <laughs> and can you sleep at night? That's a good question. Well, yeah, it's interesting, actually, because I think of myself as a person, I guess I think of myself a lot of the time as a person that does shy away from these issues, um, sometimes to my own detriment in terms of making me anxious or fearful. Mm -hmm. And I guess my way of working through them, and so some of the, the part of the novel that you write for, or I write for myself is a way of working through things that make me uncomfortable and allowing me to ask those questions in a kind of in a creative mm -hmm. environment so it's definitely part of that and it but I know when I wrote Shallow Breath my third book I had to do a lot of um research on what happens to animals um, when they're mistreated and I found that really confronting and I think the way I got through that was um knowing that through writing the book I was going to be able to put these questions to other people and I felt like there was a purpose in what I was doing because of that. And it was bizarre because I looked at and read about some terrible things and witnessed a few things as well through my travels um, that ordinarily would have really broken me and made it, I would have found really difficult. And I, But I felt this great sense of purpose behind what I was doing that allowed me to think about that at the time. And what ha what has happened since is I've gone straight back to being who I was. So I can't mm. look at anything like that. I don't, because I've got no purpose for it at the moment. So it's, It's not the same. Um, and definitely that happened a little bit with The Hidden Hours as well because I did feel uncomfortable um, with some of the things I was having to research. Luckily, in the case of The Hidden Hours, I've got a wonderful friend called Fiona um, and she, was a, she works in the coroner's office or did in the police force and she knew a lot of details and she's very good at telling you things with a sense of humour. <laughs> So although we were having these really strange conversations, um, we managed to do it with some lightness as well. But she would, she was wonderful at helping me to find out details of things, really specific details that I needed to mm -hmm. know um, about things that would happen to a body in those circumstances. And I often do have great people to refer to research, so I'm very fortunate for that. Yes, I would like to be uh, seated somewhere in a cafe Uh, close to where you're having one of these conversations. That would be a very interesting experience. Thank you so much for coming and, and joining us. Uh, you know, we have had a, a tremendous response to your to your latest book, and I know that lots of readers will be looking forward to your next one. Thank you. Thank you for having me.